0: Welcome to session 178 of Scanner School. Today we have a great interview with Larry Van Horn, who you may recognize from his publications in Modern Times Magazine, The Spectrum Monitor, as well as others, which we will talk about in today's podcast. All notes from today's podcast we be found on our website at scannerschool.com slash session 178. Today's podcast is sponsored by our two brand new training courses, our free SDR course, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Software Defined Radio will get you started with SDRs in an afternoon. We will show you what hardware and accessories to buy to get started with software-defined radio. Then we'll show you the step-by-step how-to to install the drivers, tune your first frequency with SDR Sharp, and then have you monitoring digital at the end of this free course. Our advanced course continues with Beginner's Course Left Off and levels up your SDR experience. In this course, you'll learn even more about software-defined radio. We will show you how you can substitute an SDR for your high-end digital scanner, how to monitor HD radio, monitor trunk systems and overhead data with Unitrunker, and even how to monitor all the talk groups on a system and never miss a beat with SDR trunk. You can sign up for both courses at courses.scannerschool.com. Before we start this week's podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a month-to-month sponsorship platform where we have three different support tiers, each with different benefits. But the most valuable tier is our $5 a month tier. This equates to sponsoring the podcast for about a dollar per episode. Now, not only do our $5 Patreon supporters receive the podcast early, but they also receive a commercial-free version of the podcast delivered directly to their podcast player. Some may say that the included squelchy sticker pack that is mailed to your home is the best benefit of the $5 level, but I think it's the community or the club that is growing at this level. You see, we meet once a month on Zoom, and we have a roundtable discussion about scanning, ask questions, offer advice, some of the members are answering other people's questions, and we just talk with our fellow Scanner School classmates. This is an exclusive group for our five dollar Patreon members. Now, again, if all this wasn't enough at that level, you'll also receive discounts to upcoming Scanner School courses and offerings. Now, you can help support Scanner School by going to www.ScannerSchool.com/Patreon or www.ScannerSchool.com/support. Now, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters at all levels, and they are. Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pasco, David C., Danny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Eddie Kaye, Edward Bramblett, Evan Barak, Guy Lee, Jack Haycock, James Broxton, James Felling, James Peruta, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jenny Taylor, Jim B, Jim Heinrich, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lynn Smith, Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Kroger, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Robert, Robert Kastler, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Signals Everywhere, Tim Mazza, Ted Glendie, Tom Barrick, and William R. Cant. Now let's start the podcast. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the Scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. Today we are joined by one of the legends in the Scanner radio hobby, Larry Van Horn. If the last name sounds familiar, it's because Larry is the father of last week's guest, Lloyd Van Horn. Larry, as well as his wife Gail, have been involved in the radio hobby for decades. And if you can receive it, there is a good chance that not only has Larry listened to it, but he most likely wrote a guide on who, what, and where you can listen to it as well. Not only do Larry and Gail write and have written for magazines in the hobby, but they also have their own publishing company. So if your interests are in utility monitoring and the HF bands, shortwave broadcast, Miller, air shows, satellites, or anything else, then chances are good that the Van Horn family has put out a publication or wrote an article on the subject. So if you can't tell already, and if you can't tell from the upcoming conversation I have with Larry Van Horn, I am a huge fan of both his wife, Gail, and his columns, and also their shared publications. And while I asked Larry on to discuss a few things about, you know, air shows and mill air monitoring, sometimes conversations naturally go where they want to go. And I'm happy that today's guest appearance with Larry went exactly that way. The conversation led us down a little bit of a path, and it's it ended up being much, much better than I ever could have expected. So today, you've got... A lot to learn in a little bit of time. From monitoring all the way down at the bottom of the bands, up through the gigahertz, Larry and I cover it all. Now, before we jump into today's conversation, Larry did email me after we finished up and wanted to address a few clarifications. Number one, we talked about the confidential frequency list, or the CFL, and it was published by Oliver P. Farrell and not Tom Nidal. I'm going to probably say this last name's wrong, but I apologize. So Tom Cat, as he was known by his friends, published the top secret registry of US government radio frequencies. And again, this is all coming from Larry as clarifications as to what we talk about in the podcast. The second thing is, Larry said that we were talking about US Coast Guards up on 381.3. And he wanted to clarify that those were actually 381.7, 391.8, 383.9 megahertz. And that 381.3 is or was a U.S. Air Force ACC command post frequency. So just some clarifications, and I got to give Larry a lot of credit that he's able to remember that we talked about all that because uh, it we, we covered so much on our conversation. So we also have a lot of links and resources in today's podcast I know I say this a lot, but today we have a lot of resources and links in the podcast. We put them all together for you, so you can find them all and click on them all by going to the session notes over at com slash session 178. So with all of that, Larry, welcome to today's podcast. Larry, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really, I really do appreciate having you here.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure, Phil.
0: So I have been a huge fan of yours for many, many years. I'm, I'm going to explain why really quickly before I let you talk about what it is that you do. But uh, we have – I'm probably going to spill the beans here anyway. But we have um, an air show that comes into town every year except for last year. right? It's, it's uh, the Jones Beach Air Show, which happens every Memorial Day. And um, for more years than I can count, I've been streaming the audio, right? the frequencies that, that are um, being used. By, by all the uh, all the event participants and uh, none of that would ever happen if it wasn't for your guide and everything that you put out and all the hard work that you do as well so I want to th- I have I mean I've had monitoring times magazines and your publications and printouts with your name all over it with things circled and highlighted and, and with notes taken and all this other stuff and check boxes next to things I hear and so um, to be able to have you on the podcast is uh, is, is, is definitely an honor and uh, I'm glad that you are Taking the time to uh, to sit down tonight and have this conversation with us.
1: Well, and, and, and <laughs> thank you very much, Bill. It's uh, it's been been a long time uh, coming. I mean, you mentioned the airshow guide that actually started in my early days at Grove when I first got up uh, after I retired from the Navy. We went to to Grove. Grove uh, needed uh, a hobbyist in in the office. And made a decision after a Grove convention down in Atlanta that they wanted to hire me. I'd been on the, the writing staff since nineteen eighty two when when Monitoring Times first started. It was back in tabloid. After I got settled in the office and started looking at things, I was wearing like three hats. I mean, I was working the technical support line, I was the assistant editor for Monitoring Times, and I was still a columnist. I still had columns to write every month. The only difference was uh, I got a weekly paycheck instead of once a month from from Bob and Judy. So I had probably been there about a year year and a half. And I kept noticing that the frequency list for the air shows just seemed out of sync to me. So we made a conscious effort over a year long period working with people that I could trust in the field to monitor these air shows and start getting a list put together, and I mean literally from that point on, we publish that air show list every year. It's We've not missed a year. I mean, whether it's either in monitoring times or uh, Spectrum Monitor, which we write for now, or we've actually gone out and published ebooks up at Amazon to, to cover the air show. So it's always based on real-time monitoring, stuff that people are actually hearing, including myself, when I get a chance to go to the shows, that's sort of the genesis of, of the list that you you were just talking about. It's it's been around for a long time.
0: Yep, it yep. certainly has. And uh, again, the information in there is uh, is uh, spot on. I mean, it's amazing all the technical notes you have in there, and uh, even you know the reports were you know not used since or new for last year and and, and stuff like that you'd in there. And um, I know I, I submitted something to you. I always give an example of how I use Close Call to find the helicopters for the Marine demo when, when it came into town, I remember same, same that thing. Same. Uh, you too. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, I was very happy that, uh, you know, to see the next year that there it was in print, you know, the submission night that I gave to you and it was pretty cool to see in there. And I guess that was many years ago as well, but uh, it's great that you had something that was community based before, right? The internet and before things were community-based, right? A lot of the information on internet websites are done that way, but you were doing it long before that.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, back in 1983, 1984, uh, we're here uh, in western North Carolina in the uh, southern part of the Appalachian Mountain chain. It's called the Blue Ridge Mountains. Very southwest tip of uh, North Carolina, where where we have two seasons, uh, Fourth of July and winter. So consequently, we don't get a lot of traffic through here, but a lot of people know where Brasstown is at. And uh, consequently, anything that we would do, we'd literally have to travel. We're two hours from anywhere, so we would have to travel, whether it was an air show in Atlanta or whatever. But that insult to injury, technology up here was nothing. I mean, Grove itself, as a company, were the first ones to bring the Internet to Western North Carolina. It was a dial-in service. In fact, we didn't get cell service until the 1996 Olympics down in Atlanta. Wow. So, consequently, anything that we were doing, I mean, we had Bob's son, Bill Grove, was the one that used to go out on the Internet and get the email for everybody. We had one email account for everybody. And he would go in and act as the postman and, okay, here's Larry, here's your email, and then Rachel, here's yours, you know, this kind of thing. So, we were pretty primitive back then, but even then, we were still maintaining contacts with, with friends that I had been corresponding with for several years as, as a columnist for monitoring times and people that I knew that I could trust to get the right frequencies to me. And, uh, I do remember the helicopter. It was a Marine helicopter squadron, if I remember right, correct?
0: Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I remember yep. that listing. So it's expanded a lot since then. of course the UHF, uh, military aircraft band has, <laughs> It's undergone a major change in 2004, and the band in 2004, or what it, what it is today, looks nothing like it did back in in the uh, the early to middle 90s. So um, back then, you know, you either did did things with a a gross CRV one stacked converter to your scanner, or you did things along the line of a military surplus type of rig. Surplus type equipment. Mm. There wasn't really anything. Manufacturers. Uh, we always used to talk with Uniden and some of the other companies. Don't y'all realize that there's a lot of people who want to listen to military aircraft, you know? And uh, I think when they saw the success of Bob's cbr one, that pretty much convinced them to put it in. And we started seeing scanners coming out then. With didn't the even
0: realize that. But but now that you bring it up, that's a very valid point. Like scanners wouldn't they wouldn't cover that band?
1: No, no, we had. Uh, we had a lot of people <laughs> that were buying a lot of used. In fact, I still have my used 225 to 400 tube UHF radio military surplus sitting up in the shack right now. So, Wow. It was just a, a memory of a day gone past for sure.
0: Right, right. I mean, a lot of that's a memory of a day gone past to, to start going down that path, right? I mean, it's it's amazing that to think about that because today we're spoiled, I guess, right? Most of the radios that are out there cover the band. So, uh, but not, not to have a, so, so that, that's what you're referring to back with the 2004 band plan change or was, um, was that something that the, yeah, the, in
1: 2004 DOD made a sweeping change to the UHF military aircraft ban. And one of the reasons why they had to do this was because basically they were tired of playing games with the other federal agencies to get frequencies for their trunking radio system in the regular federal frequencies. So, in effect, what they did is they gave the top 20 megahertz from 380 to 400, just shy of 400, and they carved out that space so they could put their own trunking systems in without having to go through a lot of red tape and anything else. And they, they set up a nationwide plan. Well, that meant moving a lot of services. Uh, one of the ones that immediately come to mind was 381.3, the Coast Guard ended up moving out of that band. So, you know, there was uh, a lot of things that got shoveled around, and they wanted to reorganize it anyway. Some of the things they couldn't move, obviously, were military satellite frequencies in that UHF range. So it's always been an interesting band for me. I've always been fascinated with it, and I've spent a lot of time <laughs> monitoring it and and cataloging what, what can be found up there. So if you start seeing some old lists around with frequencies, and you go... That doesn't make any sense. I'm not hearing that today. It could be because the frequency list that you're looking at could be old from that, that era, uh, prior to 2004 when they made the change.
0: Right, and again, there's there's no centralized list anywhere for any of this stuff. That's what makes what you do so so interesting, right? Is that you can't go online and, and look at an FCC website for this kind no, of stuff because it definitely. it doesn't exist.
1: In fact, uh, DoD is is taking it probably one step more. Used to uh, you could go and download their um, what they call their flip publications. They're uh, published by the uh, NGA. A National Geostation Spatial Agency where they would they would put out all these frequencies for the bases and there was an IFR guide for the U.S. and there was a BFR guide for the U.S. And it would have a listing of uh, you know more commonly used VHF, UHF aeronautical frequencies. Well, someone, the excuse that I heard when I called about this and that they were withdrawing it from public the public domain itself was that the Australians, in some of their other publications, felt like their material for their frequencies and stuff were co- were uh, uh, copyrighted, and so to avoid any conflict, and this is this this came right directly from from the head head office themselves, to reduce any conflict with the Australians, we're just going to re- uh, retract all of the complete set of of all the supplements. So wow. that has made life a lot more difficult to be able to work in this band. So, you know, wh- whatever is published, I mean, if, if you've been a lifelong UHF Milcom listener and, you know, you've been listening on this frequency for a long time and you haven't heard anything in about the last 16 years, it changed. <laughs>
0: yeah, hopefully you're not waiting around 16 years to find out what happened either. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, well, ho- hopefully you've retuned by then. Exactly,
0: exactly. And, and it's, that's one of the interesting things, too, about, that spectrum right and uh one of the things i like to say i like to i like to put out there is right the secrets are in the searches right and that's that's where a lot of the fun is with the scanner radio hobby and um it's one of those things that i feel is a dying part of the hobby right people go online and and not to put down any other website or talk that's not where i'm going with this but people they want what they want and they 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 get the information and that's it they're happy right i got my police i got my fire i got my ems And that's all I'm worried about. But there's other stuff out there. And part of that and part of the excitement of finding that is falls in the middle Airband. because pretty much wherever you are in the U S there's, there's gotta be something flying overhead at some point in time that you can listen to because obviously it's line of sight, right? And these things are flying pretty high. So there's something that you can be able to listen to. I mean, I don't have any air bases around me, but I can still tune around and pick, pick something up. So searching is once you find what you what you know is out there, you can obviously put them in a scan list. But searching for the rest of the stuff, that's where a lot of the fun comes in. So um, to me, that's that's where a lot of the excitement is. And again, yeah, you know, it, making some changes. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, that, that's fine. That's absolutely true. To me, I've never been satisfied with you know, give me the local list and I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm like you there's always more to listen to. I mean, what's in this frequency spectrum from 138 to 144? Tell me what's in there, you know. I want I want to listen to what's in there. Tell me what's in the frequency spectrum from um 162 to 174. I want to know what's in there. There's got to be something right. something good in there, you know, here and there. Granted we've seen technology sort of take over here in certain respects. If you tune through the federal frequency spectrum, let's say the 162, the 174, the 406 to 420s, you're not going to hear as much clear voice as you used to, especially if you're in some places like the DC area, somewhere up in there. I mean, first off, you're going to hear P25 because Congress mandated that the government switch over to some narrow band digital modes. P25 being the most prevalent within within the uh, federal community. Added on top of that, you will hear encryption, depending upon the agency that you're listening to. Now, sometimes they do, and sometimes they forget to flip the switch, and maybe you hear right. one side. Sometimes you may hear two sides. You'd be surprised sometimes at uh, what you can't hear if you
0: just, as you
1: said, search around. Find that search button and and. It's not just a matter of searching for a day and you're done. Some of these frequencies you may not hear in a year and all of a sudden here it comes. We're sort of famous up here in western North Carolina for a guy by the name of Eric Rudolph, the bomber from down in Atlanta. And Anybody that was around the, the 96 Olympics in Atlanta will remember that particular incident. Well, good old Eric was from up here and of course after the bombing and they they put two and two together, we were swarmed by FBI, ATF, Secret Service, you name it. If it had a three-letter designation within the government, they were probably here. And they weren't that far away from us. They were just literally over the hill from where I am right now. And all of a sudden, we we knew we could see them talking on their radios, and we knew what we already had up here. Next thing you know, we got signals popping up everywhere, and uh, back in the day, Bob had made a. Uh, I wish I could remember the designator on it. Was it was a spectrum scope, and yeah. literally, I could sit there looking on my spectrum scope, and I'm seeing you know, sitting in the middle of the band, I'm seeing all these signals coming up, and it was a uh, target-rich environment to say the least. It was a very interesting time for us to, to monitor up here.
0: Right. And and to think about you saying two technology changes, right? That was, that was pretty uh, expensive piece of tool back in the day. Now you can go on Amazon for 35 bucks. You can get something that will give you just as much enjoyment <laughs> when you, when you plug in a software defined radio, you know?
1: Huh. Yeah. Software, software is free and, uh, you can yeah. go up and get uh, an RT, uh, RTL SDR dongle and put you up a good outdoor antenna. And man, I'll tell you what, in fact, uh, There's some some fellows that use that particular dongle to scan extremely fast through that 225 to 400 spectrum looking for military aircraft signals.
0: Yep, exactly. And the best thing is you can archive the entire spectrum and then go back and just select the audio you want or the frequency you want and then go back and replay it like it's a DVR. So you don't have to worry about missing anything. But, uh, yeah, technology is certainly making things a lot easier for people to um, to, to press the other button on their scanner and, and see what's out there. So, uh, but going back into what you're doing as far as logging the aircraft and all that stuff too, I mean that's challenging in itself because it's not like where it's a repeater, right? You don't have a squelch tail, you don't have long conversations, right? It's 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 push the PTT and they're done, and it's so quick. I mean, listen to the airshow acts. It's sometimes it's a count, sometimes it's it's just smoke on, and that's all you're gonna hear, and. To be able to hit those frequencies and log them and know there's something out there it's it's a needle in a haystack type of discovery
1: oh uh, yeah, absolutely in fact uh, uh as as most of us have sat around and talked about for years, the key to being successful in all of this is twofold number one, it's the search okay you've got to search if you're sitting on one frequency i've got over me we're in the uh, northeast or northwest side of uh, Atlanta's airspace, in other words, all the aircraft going into uh, Atlanta-Hartsville. Consequently, we have planes that are departing here. We have planes that are going in here to Atlanta and departing, depending on which runways they're using. And there are three layers of airspace sitting over top, of I me: mean, low, medium, and high, that Atlanta Center, the the big uh, air route traffic control center in Atlanta, uses to navigate aircraft through this airspace. You want to add a little extra to it. We are at the just to the south of us. We have what they call a Vortac, which is a, a navigation aid uh, for VHF and UHF and, and uh, high fly. This is a high flying Vortac, so aircraft that are very high in the uh, the uh, air will use that Vortac for navigation as well as low. Consequently, this is the convergent point for a lot of military training routes. Used by the naval aviators coming out of Pensacola, we have uh because this is a mountainous area, they do a lot of training in here, napa the earth type flying. We had a five airship c seventeen air show up here two summers ago from aircraft coming out of uh Washington state. The most marvelous thing I mean Gail and I are out here in the part in, in uh, front the, of the, uh, the upper upper office up here just squealing like I'll like get out because we got five <laughs> C-17s, literally not more than 120, maybe 130 feet above us coming over, wow. and, you know, they're in sequence. And, I mean, it was just it was fantastic. We have C-130s up here. We have uh, F-16s, F-15s. When the Navy was still flying out of Atlanta, we had a v- a- F-18s. So, consequently, we're two hours from the nearest base, but we get a lot of activity. Mm. So if you've ever been around in the house and hearing a low-level you know aircraft coming in low level, you could be around one of these flying these uh, routes that they they do for training, and you have your aerial refueling route, so there's always a yes. lot of activity to discover.
0: Yes. And I mean, it, it's good listening. I could be quiet. Like you said, too, be quiet for a couple hours or a couple of days. And all of a sudden you got, uh, you have some activity on there. You know what's going on. So, and we've got the same thing where I am too, is, uh, we've got the local airports, right? We've got the, the local weekend hobbyist type of airport right next to us. And also where like the sports teams fly in and out of, and then we've got JFK and then directly above that we've got LaGuardia. So, and then right to the East, we've got MacArthur airport. So I'm kind of like, right in all that. And again, multi-layer too. So long Island's got, it's, 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 it's funny challenges. And, um, we used to have Grumman that was about 10 minutes away from here. So we'd see all those planes flying overhead every morning, you know, as they were, they were taking them out on their runs. And that was, that was about, they, they left before I really got seriously involved with scanning and everything else like that. But, uh, there's definitely, and again, like I guess before you don't have to see them to hear them, right? Cause it's all you line know, of sight, oh. So,
1: <laughs> no, uh, I've sat here and listened to aircraft, depending upon, of course, altitude, usually on the high-altitude high routes. I've heard aircraft here and 53 miles away from here. Yep. We have an air refueling route here just to the west of us that runs the spine of the Appalachian that the uh, Air National Guard tanker, CKC-135 tanker group out of McGee-Tyson uses. We hear them all the time, and I mean, I can listen to them from when they they start down in Alabama until they finish up, uh, well up north into Kentucky and, and Virginia.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing how you can hear all that far, and that's, that's what makes part of it so so interesting and, and uh, so much fun to listen to. So, let's talk about some of the gear that you have, because I know, because I've like I said, I've been a fan of yours for a while, so I've been I've been watching you on Twitter, and and uh, I sp- I spoke with Lloyd last week. And uh, he, he kind of let me in, you know, as to what was going on. But let's talk about what sh- what it is that you are using or what you have been using to seek out or monitor the aviation frequencies in Miller and then what you are now converting over to to be using.
1: Yeah, the obviously conventional scanners, one of the advantages of having worked at Grove for the, the years that I did and did the technical support is I also wrote the reviews for Grove. So consequently, if there was a scanner that caught my eye, it was one of those I would – and also having a watch that's in the hobby makes it a little easier to go, honey, yes. I'm fixing to spend $350 on this scanner. Hope, hope you don't mind as if I need another one up in in the shack. Yeah, I've, we use uh, – yeah, I've got Uniden. I've got uh, Whistler. Uh, I still got sitting over here, and I'm looking at it, and I'm in Gail's office right now. I've got a realistic – Pro 2004. Mm-hmm. Now that goes way back. We just got through having to say goodbye to an old BC 210. Okay. So, I mean, you know, that, that, BC, in fact, it was the BC 210 and the BC 220, which the 220 was the first scanner to have uh, civilian aviation in it. So, you know, it was one of those that I had a, a real soft spot for that radio for a long, long time. But that's sort of the, you know, from, from the hardware perspective, I have a tendency to use two or three scanners that monitor. I have one that's filled with confirmed stuff. And then I'll have one that, um, is searching. And then I'll have one that, that, uh, basically was, is monitoring for anything else that, that might slide through the area. Of course, a couple of three scanners for the local police and fire here and a bevy of SDRs. That's the future I think in, in what we're looking at. And the SDRs here uh serve many purposes simply because I don't monitor just I do pardon me do not monitor just the VHF UHF spectrum. We monitor I monitor well above nine hundred megahertz into the uh L band uh looking for Inmarsat and other okay. other signals up there marine and aircraft and we also monitor the shore wave spectrum which is actually when i first came to grove i started out as their satellite editor wrote three books on communication satellites with them then moved over to the utility side of the house which is basically anything on ham radio i mean anything on hf radio other than hands or broadcast in other words if it's Things that go bumping at night or whatever—that's that, that's the, considered a the utility station in have. So we have right. a lot of equipment for that, and that, that was pretty much where I made my mark in monitoring times. But I've written uh, literally anything in the spectrum, from all the way from natural radio, which I did a series of articles several years ago, listening to spirits down in the very low frequency ranges, all the way up into uh, the gigahertz. And a for really all those.
0: Yeah, I remember reading those uh utility guides, you know, the pages and pages of loggings that were that were done in there as well. I mean, that's another thing that just baffled me how you can identify those things and I mean, you got to you got to start somewhere and start with the database and start realizing what you're listening to and I mean, that kind of stuff alone's got to be just trying to figure out who's there, but again, it's 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 an interesting term because you the when I first started looking at my like, utility guides, like these are like oil tankers or Rigging platforms and stuff like that, and then you realize, oh no, it's 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 a little bit more interesting than just than just that. So.
1: Well, there was, there was a lot of help back then. You know, if you, you, you sort of dial back and and for those those of us who who lived through there through that era, I mean, I can remember as a, a young man, there was a fellow by the name of Steve Handler who wrote a a guide for uh, HF frequencies, a lot of military stuff. There was um, Tom tell wrote a lot. He uh, he did the original confidential frequency list. Bob Grove published the first ever list of uh, uh, federal frequencies, which included HFE, HF, VHF, UHF. He had the Grove Shore Wave Director. So, I mean, there was a lot of material. We had an old club back then by the name of SpeedX that did this kind of thing, and, and uh, some of the older clubs also uh, delved into it. But it's evolved, obviously, over the years. We've seen the HF spectrum change tremendously. The marine and aeronautical frequencies are nowhere near as busy as they used to because they have Inmarsat, and Inmarsat takes care of that need. But there's still things there. We were reading an article the other day, Dale and I were sharing it, where a fellow was basically uh, predicting the demise of shortwave, shortwave broadcasting, and I'm going, Really, I don't think that's ever going to happen. You may not have as many countries as you used to. You may not have a lot of the variety that you used to have uh, uh, from the different governments and things along that line. And then again, it could change tomorrow. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. conditions. I mean, things could could change the way we look at the business. But I, I as I said in the office one day and I use this as an example, I, I want to say it was work 92. Might have been. 96 or somewhere, the Inter- World Administrative Radio Conference. They meet every four years. The ITU gets together. Everybody hacks back up the space again, and whatever they want to do with with the spectrum. And I remember the hams were making a push to clear out the 40 meter ham band entirely of broadcasters. They wanted everybody out. Well, they managed to get 7.1 to 7.2 clear. And exclusive to ham radio, but the broadcasters were unwilling to give up 7.2 to 7.3 until it'd been. A, and I want the, the number six in my head is like 40 years down the road, and I'm going for something that's supposedly dying. You know why are we wanting to hold on to these frequencies? You know when they they could have done anything they wanted to above above 7.3 megahertz. So, SureWave is not dead. Uh, no, a lot of things and- have moved. The modes, uh, a lot of digital, just like we see in the scanner side of the house. I mean, technology rolls along. And sometimes that can be some of the most interesting listening that you will ever listen to, even even beyond what you have in your local area.
0: Right. And again, shortwave is it's unfiltered. You know, it's it gives some countries the ability to transmit outside of their borders and into other countries without the other countries being able to do anything bad except for jam them. So there is, oh, there's always back. gonna be a place. Yes, <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's always gonna be a place for shortwave for for stuff like that. You know, there's, it's, it's a fun medium. I mean, it's definitely fun. It's one of the things I like to do too, which is, um, I was telling that the same thing to Lloyd is, I like to take, you know, I have my Icom R5s, R fives, R R sixes. I got the old stuff too. And in the summer months, just to go outside at, at night when it, when it cools off a little bit, and just tune around on the shortwave band with the, with these you know the receivers, and uh, just to hear what's out there. It doesn't take much, but
1: it's it's uh, it's, it's interesting. Oh, when always, you find the schedule. There's for, always neat yeah. things to hear. Yeah. In fact, we broke a story in the May issue of of the Spectrum Monitor, and also the new Global Radio Guide, which just hit the streets here uh, late last month. We broke a story for those who might be listening can remember back in the seventies and eighties, there was a thing called the woodpecker. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you know what it is. I've heard of it. I was,
0: I'm a little, yeah, a little young for that, but I I definitely know what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The Russians were using HF radio for over the horizon radar purposes. Okay. This thing drove hams and shortwave listeners and maritime and aeronautical and everybody completely crazy because you could never predict it. It was loud. They were aiming their radars literally over the poles at us and using it to to watch for aircraft and and whatnot. And uh, right, the woodpecker died a hard death when they had the uh, Chernobyl incident. The the reactor over there in Chernobyl nuclear reactor was uh, feeding the power to this massive. Complex, so to speak, to so they could transmit these signals over the horizon. Well, it died, died a horrible death. Hams and shortwave listeners were thankful that it did. Unfortunately, we have to tell hams and shortwave listeners that the woodpecker is back, and that's the story that that led in in, uh, in the spectrum monitor in May, and also as lead article in our our new Global Radio Guide. I just happened to be listening on the, on the, an SDR online, one of the Kiwi SDRs, out in Pearl. And uh, I was listening to 8828. I was trying to update the list of uh, aeronautical weather stations out in the Pacific. And I heard this noise, and I went, what? I've heard this before. What is this? And then all of a sudden, after I went through the file for a minute, I went, that sounds like a woodpecker. Gee. No way. Well, the first thing I did is I jumped every available SDR in a Kiwi system all through the (laughs) Western Pacific, all the way from New Zealand, Australia, all the way up through Japan. And this thing was everywhere. Everywhere I heard that it was in Hawaii, I was hearing it on all these others. And I went, that's broadband. That's not local interference, so we can rule that one out. Well, I started investigating, sure enough. Uh, they have brought it back. Now they haven't shot one over the pole yet, but the head of the uh, air defense forces over in Russia says that they will have 360 degree coverage, which means eventually we'll probably start getting interference over at us in mass. Right. So if yeah. you hear something that sounds like a woodpecker banging away on a tree, guess what you're hearing? You're hearing the over the horizon radar from the Russians.
0: Right. And how is that different than the buzzer, right? Cuz that's kind of the same but different, right?
1: Uh the buzzer was is is still a, an enigma in its own right. pun intended. Right. It is something that we really don't have an understanding. We we think we know who who in the Russian military, the army is using it. Mm. Uh exactly what it's used for. There was a whole
0: there's a lot of conspiracy theories over it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a, a, a little mini documentary I heard. I think it was up on, uh, might have been Science Channel or one of those. And, yeah, it's uh, uh,
0: Phantom Signals, right? I think it's yeah, the uh, TV Signals. show you told Yep, yep. Hmm? And said,
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, Josh. I mean, several several people have theorized what they think it is. It's moved over the years. It's not in the same place that it started out with. It hadn't been that long ago. I had a mystery signal that a fella heard. Over in Eastern Europe, I think it was 4939 somewhere along in there, and it was a beeper, just beeping away. And the closer you got to this particular location on SDRs in Russia, in fact, it was the only SDR just northwest of Moscow. And this thing was there 24/7, probably still there for all I know. Uh, we tweeted out about that on our Twitter account, so it's buried buried in my Twitter feed somewhere.
0: <laughs> a lot of good information is buried in, in, in Twitter for some, you know, it does. You put out a lot of a lot of stuff. So but uh, but, yeah, it's amazing what what I mean, what's out there, right? It's, oh, it's, uh,
1: we still have uh, spy number stations. A lot. Yep. A lot. Yep. We still have um, facsimile uh, stations sending weather faxes. I mean, you would mm-hmm. think this technology would be gone by now, but it's not. We have some very interesting, from time to time, military signals that <laughs> the Russian. its sort of like what we were talking about the other day, We another one of our family discussions. And it's it's great to have three members of my—or two other members of my family that I can talk radio with. You know, most hams are like, you know, if they go to their wives and start talking ham radio, their eyes just sort of gravitate <laughs> to the over? heavens, you know. And it's one of those, <laughs> I don't want to hear it, honey. But I have two other people in this household that if I say the word kilohertz, they know exactly what I'm talking about
0: Mm -hmm. and have
1: for years. And I mean, you know, at, at a level that that surpasses most. So it's really nice to have a radio family. And we we were talking about these various things that you can you can listen to in these bands and still defy any kind of explanation whatsoever.
0: Exactly, and in fact, as I mean, as as we're talking right now too, right? It's was it Radio Day or something like that over in Russia. So they're sending out SSTV signals that that you can try and tune in and uh, decode. I was looking online, I guess today or yesterday, people were posting online all the the images they were they were picking up on uh, on HF. So it's, there's still a lot going on. Mm, absolutely. Did you know there are ways to help support the Scanner School podcast that doesn't take any time or any extra money on your part? If you go to ScannerSchool.com support, you will find we have several ways that you can continue to do your online shopping and help support us. We have links to Amazon. If you click on our link before you go to Amazon, anything you buy from there will help support Scanner School. Now, if you're in the market for a brand new scanner, an antenna, other accessories, we have links to Scanner Master, where you can not only purchase a scanner and accessories, but you can also get your radio programmed. And by clicking on our link before you buy, you are helping to support the podcast. Now, if you're in the market for software, we have links to Butel. And if you want something new to you, we also have links to eBay Again, just go to ScannerSchool.com support before you make your purchases, and you are helping to support Scanner School at no additional cost to you. <coughs> this session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealers serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pages support Scanner School? I think that every scanner reader user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now with a pager, you can have voice storage, you can do tone outs, you can keep it silent, you can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out of the box scanner. And with today's pagers having multiple frequencies, and even having multiple channels in a scanless, like the Unication G1 can do eight channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and a desktop charger the g2s to g5s they do p25 phase one and phase two in simulcast environments with stored voice paging on conventional np25 oh and they're upgradable too to dmr type one and type two they are more rugged than today's consumer-based scanners and with a pager like a swiss phone s-quad you won't even realize you're wearing one it'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood so again eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly, Phil, at eastcoastpagers.com. Do you have a new scanner? You're having problems understanding how it works? Maybe you're new to the entire Home Patrol database of programming and you can't figure out a Sentinel. Did you get a new SDR and you're trying to figure out how to install it or you want to learn how to use Unitronker, DSD+, maybe set up a Piaware, or even just make some changes and you don't understand how the system and the equipment works? The podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com slash consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely, and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour at scannerschool.com slash consulting for your Scanner Radio one-on-one tutoring session. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of Scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and 2A radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues too. So visit natcommag.com dot .com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's com for National Communications Magazine. So, let's talk about and so now we're all over the place. We started with we went I guess from we <laughs> went from top down, Sorry. right? We went we, we've but, gone from from shortwave all the way up to uh to uh gigahertz with this conversation. So, this is more general radio than it was with uh with mill air and like that. So let's, let's, let's generalize this then. Cause I was going to, I was going to aim this question more towards, right. The mill air side of the house, but let's say just in general, right. I mean, we're talking HF, we're talking VHF, UHF and, and, and whatnot. What do you use? I mean, how you, you must have, I mean, wire all over the yard and, and up in the sky and everything else. What is the, uh, what's the shack look like? Cause I mean, between not even like just you, but, I mean, you, you've you got your wife pulling in all this stuff for the, for her publication and, and all the shortwave stuff, too. So you've got to have, uh, I can imagine, a pretty massive setup over there.
1: Well, we're on an acre and almost, well, almost two acres. And um, we have two buildings here. And, and one that I'm in is our office complex, which is where the shack is at. But we can do our thing literally anywhere around the house. It's not going to be as extensive as you would think. I've always tried to keep things simple as a radio hobbyist and uh, wire antennas? Yes, absolutely. Love wire antennas. I mean, I uh my main ham ham antenna that I use for for uh, ham radio is a uh, 80 meter G5RV. I've got 202 uh, 32 countries on that bad boy and a wow. uh, eight band worked all states DXCC. I'm about 12 country shy of a uh, AWRL DXCC challenge award. There's a thousand countries on on the various bands. So simplicity. I I find that number one. I I like to challenge a lot more. So we have various wire antennas. We use. I've got like uh, three U loops. You probably heard of the AirSpy mm-hmm. U loops. In fact I've got uh, two two extra ones one's got a high impedance amplifier the other one's got a low impedance amplifier that I've been uh, doing some testing for Youssef uh, the, the uh, gentleman who heads out Airspy I have a W6 LVP loop one of the more you know everybody talks about the uh, wellbrooks. you will pay an arm and a leg to get a Wellbrook over here from the UK W6 LVP is is just absolute wonderful a wonderful loop antenna. And the crazy thing about the loop, and my and conversation with Larry, who who was W6LVP, I dropped him in an email one day and I said, Hey, you know, uh, this thing is supposed to be HF, you know, basically uh, uh, medium wave all up to 30. I said, Man, I'm getting some great FM reception on this. He goes, Shh, Don't tell anybody. It'll do it'll do higher frequencies. We just don't advertise it. Well, I guess I just blew the secret. So. You, you just you just spilled the beans. The W six LVP. You're going to spend a lot less than you would a Wellbrook, and I'll tell you what. I'll mm-hmm. put the, I'll put the Wellbrook. I mean the uh, the W six LVP up against that Wellbrook. May get right. a little bit more gain out of that that Wellbrook, but I sure didn't spend spend all that money getting it over here.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, so I got that. We've got uh, 160 meter mystery antenna. We've got. Uh, Grove scan antennas, <laughs> as you would well expect. I have a special little uh, Yagi antenna that I built just for the Milsats up on UHF. Various uh, got a six-meter beam. I got a vertical antenna for the ADSB, the uh, monitoring the aircraft ADSB signals. A specialized antenna for that. A two seventy-meter, six-meter, two twenty vertical antenna. I've got a sloper over here, and we've got a par antenna, a shortwave antenna for Gale, and the slo and that sloper. So yeah, I mean sure. we've got a. It's just you're not going to see any towers here. It's not that we can't put any up. It's just that uh, I found that uh, I like the challenge a little bit more of being able to do something that that a lot of people said, yeah, hmm, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, you know, I have no power here. Uh, when I'm on ham radio, it's 100 watts and can do a so G5 RV or the, the 160 mystery. And, uh, you know, it makes it just to me, it just makes it more fun. Yeah, I might have to take a little bit longer to get, you know, a certain, uh, into work a particular country or whatever, but right, hey, right. That, that's sort of the sport of this. Exactly. Same exactly. with listening, by yeah. the way. So,
0: yes. <laughs> yep. Some people have to learn how to do that too, right? <laughs> so,
1: well, that's, you know, that, it's funny you should mention that because honestly, when you sit down and you, you you talk about people who are successful in doing this kind of thing, that's half the battle. In fact, it's more than half the battle. I would say that's 90% of the battle. People don't listen. They hear, but they don't listen. And when I mean listen, I mean you're listening to the intelligence. What What are you hearing? One of the reasons, and to bring this back sort of full circle again to what we talked about at the beginning, one of the reasons why I started the uh, airshow list was that there were frequencies out here, and it, they were on these lists, and it would say um, 12345 or you know, some, some crazy VHF right, right. aircraft approach frequency. And they'd say, this is the Blue Angel frequency, and I'm going, no, that's a, an approach frequency in Scranton, Pennsylvania that somebody heard the Blue Angels on. Right, so consequently, it was one of those just, just get the garbage out, and that way we can get a cleaner list out there of what's you know what's actually going on where are they what frequencies do they own, okay, what frequencies you know when you when you you hear an aircraft flying over here, let's say doing an aerial refueling with the boys up at McGee Tyson. You hear them on a particular frequency, and then automatically you you say, well, that's got to be a C-17 frequency for somebody out of Charleston. No, that's an aerial refueling frequency that's used on this particular air route. So you got to listen to what's being said after you discover the frequency and you're doing your searching. Then you got to listen. And listening to me is an art that, that we're slowly but surely losing in the hobby. You know, everybody talks about losing the stations. Stations are still there. A lot of stations are still there. It's just that we have lost our ability to either want to listen to them or the capability to listen to them.
0: Right, and, and to go back to what you were just saying too on that is uh, one of the frequencies out here that's that's used for the the air show is is you know the boss frequency, right? The the uh, the air show boss, but. They only use that during the air show. I think it's one twenty-five point eight five or something like that. But as soon as the air show is done, it goes back to Republic Airport and it's used for ground. So yeah. I never submitted it to you because it's not an actual air show Air boss frequency. It's just used here, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's that's its that's its secondary purpose. And then the other rest of the year, it's the ground frequency. So it doesn't make sense to submit that one over, <laughs> so because yeah, they will confuse everybody up, else time. who's not who's not in the area
1: yeah some- sometimes the, uh, the air bosses depending on who's doing the show <laughs> they'll they'll bring their own with'. them. I don't remember the the company that was doing some of the air shows, but i got a i was in the office and I got a email from the head of the company and we had published their frequency in the air show guide, and he was hot that's really. I said, you know, it was a U, it was a UHF military frequency. The civilian company. He said, well, you know, we sort of had a little agreement and this and that and the other, and we're not really. And I'm going, uh huh, okay. I think I begin understand where you're coming from. I have never <laughs> taken it out. Sorry. <laughs> right. I think it's still there. <laughs> and it, it's one of those things. Hey, you know, if you're using it, it it's sort of like some people will will. You know, say, don't publish my frequencies, you know, and you got a 50,000-watt transmitter sitting in the middle of the HF radio spectrum, and you think you're being, you're hiding from somebody. Right, right. That's not really going to happen. <laughs> but a lot of those exactly. frequencies also, the Airbus frequencies, they could be uh, GCA frequencies that people, you know, ground-controlled approach freaks. Sometimes they'll put them right up on tower. I mean, literally, they'll put them on the tower freak. And they'll say, "Air boss, you now have control of the field, you know." And and basically, they're the air traffic controller until the air show is over with. So it just depends on who's who's doing the air show and how they do business.
0: Right, right. Yes, the hours is. Uh... It's in the beach, so it's not at the airport where some of them may be as well. So that that kinda of changes things around a little bit. But uh Oh sure. So still good listening nonetheless. So um let's talk about some of the publications. Again, we've talked about you know bits and pieces about what you've done over at the years, but what are the publications that um that you have out now and uh where can people look at some of some of your work and some of the lists that you have?
1: Sure, absolutely. We have a website <laughs> and uh that our marketing manager, he's brilliant, he's listening to me right now, my son. Anyway, <laughs> Lloyd put up, he, d- he designed the website himself. Uh, it's at www.teakpublishing.com. Teak Publishing is all one word. And uh, that was the company that we started after Grove shut down in 2013. We weren't ready to totally get out of the business yet. Gail had been doing the center section frequency section of all international shortwave broadcast frequencies in English for grow for a number of years. We decided why throw this thing away and not do it anymore when it was so unique because it's the only publication of its kind that basically breaks down shortwave broadcast broadcaster transmissions by time and then by station and frequency. Much more geared to people who Listen to program content and not DXing, you know, listening for new countries. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we decided to go ahead and start our own thing. At the time, we tried the drill of, uh, putting stuff on CDs and this kind of thing, and, and, uh, it just got real unwieldy for both of us. Uh, I mean, I, a I had a, another part time job, yeah, exactly. Uh, I had another part time job doing a public affairs stint over at the local, a local college. So I was, burning the candle at both ends so sometime probably i guess it was in 94 i was having a conversation with the editor of the Spectrum monitor magazine ken reitz who had also worked for us mm-hmm. uh, at monitoring times and uh he says yeah he says you ought to do this um uh, e-book publishing stuff he says i just got be publishing my first book in e-book at amazon and he says, uh, once you publish it, then you don't have to worry. They sell it, and, you know, they market it, and all this other. And I'm going right, really? and they print it too, this right? Sounds, so. Yes, I said this sounds like a great deal. It has been. We're we just put the sixteenth edition of Gale's Global Radio Guide. Of course, I'm sure, way broadcasters change frequencies every you know twice a year. Mm-hmm. So we have to publish twice a year. We. Have the most, I mean, literally from the time that it leaves her computer until it goes and is published at Amazon it is usually within four to five days tops. So That's amazing. from the time that they changed schedules this year, which is March 31st, I think we published about 21 days later, which it's a 794 page book and it's going to cost, uh, it's going to break the bank now, $8.99. Yeah, it's a it's yeah, publishing's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, now I want your listeners to think about that for a second. That's a 794 yeah. page book. If I was to do that in print with postage, paper, and printing the the three Ps of publishing, you're looking at a book that probably wouldn't come anywhere close to being under fifty bucks right. easily. So. So those of you and who plus, have beat me up, <laughs> but but beat but you, up but you, because we're not publishing a print book. There's your reason why. I mean, right. how many and, people and are going to go a, out here and pick up a book, fifty plus bucks? I mean, that's that's right. no small change. So
0: no, not at all. Got, and, and again, too, by the time you publish it, it's already going to be old news anyway. Right? The, the best way to get it is is digital.
1: Yeah, and one of the reasons why we've gone the way we've done, number one, it turns out the turnaround time is very fast. We're not keeping any stock here at all. I mean, literally, you go up and buy it. If you shop, if you have an email address, then you can read a book from us, okay? Uh, if you have any electronic device, smartphone, tablet, iPad, PC, iMac, Linux, you name it, they have a free reader. You can read the books, so you know. I mean, it's everybody's got a computer, right? I mean, you know, and I realize there's a few old stogies that may not, but for the most part, that's sort of the way it is. Anyway, that's 16th edition; it was just released. I have an international call sign book for military and government frequency call signs. One of the things I was mentioning earlier: learn to listen in order to know who's using a frequency, that call sign sometimes can be a big aid to you. If you hear Blue Angel 1, you know who you got. Mm -hmm. But if you hear uh, Morph 894, you don't know who you have unless you've got a guide to help you along. So that was one of the reasons why we published that. We have um, every edition of all of the MILCOM columns that I've done for MT and also uh, Spectrum Monitor archives through the end of last year that's available online. Very inexpensive. I think it's like $3.99. So if you want to look back, we do a lot of base profiles. We do a lot of HF. We do VHF. Uh, we, we talk about the spectrum, who's using it, that kind of thing. It's in those those archive books. Though even the ones from monitoring time stays are pretty good to have because we documented a lot of the changeover from the 2004 timeframe when, when DOD started uh, changing their frequencies. We have an ARTCC guide, so there's a guide up there to let you figure out which center you're listening to and what frequencies they use. It's still reasonably within, it's been published several years ago, but it's still quite accurate. I was really amazed. In fact, I was thinking about working on an update over the summer, but it looks like uh, probably not this summer, maybe next. Who knows? We'll, yeah. we'll just have to wait and see where we, we stand with that. But that's that's pretty much it for right now. We're we're looking at some other projects, but uh, those those are the bulk. And we have, by the way, all sixteen editions of Gale's Global Radio Guide up there. So uh, if you want you want them for the articles, <laughs> you can get them for the articles. We're amazed at uh, how many people have gone back and and bought back issues of that particular book and the stuff that we did on Korea and, and North Korea and South Korea and Cuba and you know, all the various subjects that we've covered over the time, uh, a lot of them are still relevant.
0: Right. And you've also got uh, your air show guide too, right? That's also available on Amazon.
1: Yes. The air show guide is still up there as well. Plus the March issue of the spectrum monitor every year since the very first one I did in monitoring times, every March is air show. I started it It's the air show issue. And just like the years prior, uh, the March issue of, uh, Spectrum monitor has the latest one in it. Mm-hmm. 3 bucks. And you can go to spectrummonitor.com and you can get for 3 bucks a PDF and you've got all the air show frequencies there.
0: Right. Is that the same guy that you have on Amazon or it's it's a little bit different?
1: Amazon's a little bit uh more verbose in that right. regard. There's a lot more material with it, background and that kind of stuff. Uh, a little bit more uh, geared towards the international community as well. So I mean if you're you're gotcha. listening somewhere in the UK there's probably some frequencies in that air show right. guide as well for
0: you. So I remember uh you know like being a kid, right? You you'd wait for the the Christmas catalogs to show up, right? When you're a kid, you could find all the the toys and everything else you wanted to to ask Santa Claus for and as I started getting more and more in this hobby, that to me it was when, you know, the modern times issue would show up with with your stuff on the cover so that became my christmas catalog right that was what i was always excited to get every year
1: you know what my christmas catalog is what's that universal radio (laughs) (laughs) good old fred osterman i love love fred's cat fred had a great catalog right uh him and also c crane i love c crane's catalog because Bob used to have some really crazy things, and I guess he still does. still has some crazy things in it. So right. I, I helped put the MT one together. So, I mean, the, the Grove Enterprises one together. So, I mean, there was never any surprises in there for me. It was everybody else's. <laughs> just to see what right. they had in their catalog, I guess. Exactly.
0: But, uh, yeah, I was, I was very happy. You know, I, I bookmark them all now, you know, with the uh, – you know I have a folder now just for the spectrum monitor magazines and on in, in my inbox I can go back to it but uh you know in years past I've also gone on Amazon and, and picked up the uh, your guide on uh, the air show because again I mean to me it's the 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 airport's five ten minutes away from me right so all day long we've got them flying overhead we hear them coming in and and uh, you don't even hear them right it, it's just all of a sudden they're over the tree line and and they're buzzing buzzing by but we have everything comes into town and, and they're flying all weekend long. So for, for where I am right now, you know, Memorial day weekend to me is uh, it's, it's a big deal, right. To have all these planes and, and to be able to listen to them all. But uh, without your guides, I mean, I would not know where to find them. I mean, I, obviously I I had to search them out myself, but your guide makes it extremely easy to, to plug a scanner in. And, and over the years, you know, I've, I've like I said before, I've, I've taken Modern time magazines and spectrum monitors and printed them out and everything else. And I've got, things highlighted and circled and I sit there, look at the Beth page air show guide and find out who's coming into town. And I'd find out, okay, these are the, the frequencies I need to load in a scanner. And and I've got tabs and tabs and tabs on my own little thing going on. out just based on what I've heard over the past couple of years and compared to, to, to your notes and everything else. And the amount of information that, that you have placed online through these guides. So I don't want to say online, but in print, right? Cause I mean, spectrum monitor now is online, but monitoring times, was always uh, was always print, but
1: um, be it's amazed. amazing. There's a yeah. there's a company uh company. There's a website in here. I want to call it. I think it's called American Radio History. Seems to be the thing that sticks in my head. And they have on there a accumulation of radio publications from all eras, literally going back to the birth of radio. And wow. one of the things that they have is they have every MT starting in 1982, when we the first one hit hit the street. And yes, I, I always always loved this. We'd go to the convention and people would say, oh, I've been a subscriber since day one, but what did that first one look like? Well, I can tell you what it looked like, because <laughs> I was writing at the time for the old RCMA. You ever hear of RCMA?
0: RCMA, no, not RCMA. Yeah, it
1: was a scanner-based club out of Southern California. And I was okay. writing the satellite column for them, and Bob was writing the federal column for them. And Bob took, since we communicated, he and Judy, when they first started out, Monitoring Times was never intended to be a magazine. It was going to be Groves' catalog of his products. And he had a list of 400 names. That's that's amazing to me. There were 400 right. people that got a copy of that very first edition of Monitoring Times for free. And how do you know what's on it? There's a picture of the shuttle patch on the very front, because that was the lead article. How to monitor the space shuttle. And still to this wow. day, the most popular article that's written. We had uh, recently updated our, our uh, NASA monitoring, NASA list in spectrum monitor and uh, very popular, very well received. So we were quite happy with that.
0: I remember listening to the space shuttle on, you know, they, they patched me into the amateur A repeaters over here. So you you tune in. To one repeater on two meters, and it would just be the shuttle stuff that was going on all day long. Oh, fantastic! So yeah. those those days are gone too.
1: <laughs> so yeah, well, to uh, the uh, amateur radio club up at the Goddard Space Flight Center used to do it on HF. Okay, and that might be when they so passed it in. From... Uh, we I, I, there's many a day I listened on HF to that stuff. So, right, right,
0: excellent. So we've got uh, a bunch of your your uh, your publications that are available. Online
1: and I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, up at the website, you you mentioned about mm-hmm. updating the books. One of the ways that we do this, we sort of pioneered the use of the blog. Uh, everybody back when right. we first started in May of two thousand six, we started three blogs. And yeah, uh, I was and
0: just getting there. That, you read my mind.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> was it's all it was all politics. Well, we sort of changed the the, the mode with that, and we have. <laughs> three blogs. There's the uh, Milcom Monitoring Post, the b Town Monitoring Post, and SureWave Central, which has Gail. Now, Lloyd has since followed along. He has DX Central where he does the AM and FM. So we basically have the spectrum sort of covered here. That's the social media side of the house. We also, all three of us, have Twitter feeds where if it's lay breaking or it's something new, if, if we just found a hot new air show frequency or something along that line, we uh, we will tweet that out and and again the the links for all of our social media is sitting up at the uh, com.
0: So, I mean, I was I was that was definitely the path I was just heading down. So so Gail's website right hers hers is basically just shortwave and and utility monitoring right that's that's what's on on
1: her website. Yeah, she she toys around with a few little other things from time to time. I mean, she'll throw. She's got propagation information in there. For a while she was throwing some amateur radio stuff in there, but uh she's pretty much got it boiled down to the to the uh, to the broadcast side of the house, yeah.
0: Okay. And then your military monitoring post, that's basically military monitoring posts. So that's that's pretty much self explanatory uh, as well. Yep. yep. So what what does B Town uh monitoring take care of?
1: B Town is the sort of <laughs> the start of our it's our company blog. It started out Okay. For me, because basically, you know, I would find something really interesting that I wanted to throw up there, you know, and it didn't have anything to do with the military. So I didn't want to get people mad. So mm-hmm. we said, OK, well, we here's a place where we can go up and, and if it's sort of out of our wheelhouse, we can go up there and throw something up there, whether it's, satellite, you know, I had a down or captured an image of the slow scan TV transmission from the ISS last year. I said, hey, man, this is pretty cool. I want to throw this up there. Well, I couldn't do it at Milcom, so we did it at the B-Town monitoring post. It's sort of a shared resource between the three of us. You know, if it's not in our wheelhouse, then we can go ahead and throw it up there on B-Town.
0: Right. So, if it doesn't fit the specific niche for for each one of those individual websites, this is kind of a catch-all for everything else that is radio-related. But, yeah... That's excellent. Anything I mean,
1: else that the Van Horns just happened to find cool and want to throw up there. Right,
0: right, right. It, that's that's a good way of doing it, too, because I, I kind of, in the same boat, right? I've got my scanner radio website, which is just under my call sign, which is w2le.net, but there's other things I want to bring into it. So it's like, you know, I got the weather station I got what I'm working on. I got all these other things that I'd like to post on there, but it doesn't fit the mold. So it's like, what do you do with it? You know, where do you where do you, where do you funnel it to? So uh, it's it's cool that you've got that extra website to, to do that. And all of them have done very well. And in fact, uh, Lloyd's got this, the other one too, right? Not only does he have the essential online, but he's got global tuners as well. So you've, you've also sure. got that part covered. So. Yeah. You know, it's a it's, it's lot really a, uh,
1: sort of an interesting enterprise. I mean, for all practical purposes, the only compensation that we ever receive on any of this is if we sell a book. I mean, that's right. to be quite frank with you. And I mean, I was laughing with Gail the other day. I said, You know, if you had to pay me for the, for the work I did on this book, you couldn't afford me She goes, <laughs> I'm feeding you. So it's one of the one of those things that uh for the most part it, we're doing it now simply because we enjoy the hobby, we enjoy the people in it, uh, enjoy sharing the information. Have been doing it so long we'd probably end up breaking ourselves if we uh we did anything else. But it's a lot of fun and it's nice to uh, to have Lloyd sort of coming up through the ranks. I mean, he wouldn't have been, a- been able to escape any of this by any stretch of imagination because he got exposed to it at a very young age. Right. So, you know, it's very, very gratifying to see him carry on uh, and, have, and has become extremely well-knowledgeable in his own right in in his field. And he can hold his own pretty much anywhere else, too. I mean, he's he's a good radio listener, so.
0: So it's, it's, I'm gonna just a lot before of let to have you, a
1: family that does this stuff.
0: Exactly. Before I let you go, I'm gonna share a quick story with you that uh that uh Lloyd shared with me as well. So because I relate very personally, I, I kind of relate with, with him in, in his situation with, with you guys, because he was sharing the same story with me. Was uh you know, he was saying that you met Gail over the CB radio, right? And <laughs> and that's that's how the two can. Well, yes, funny story is my parents met the exact same way. So it's uh it's interesting how the hobby brings people together is so that you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it, but my parents met the same way that that uh the two of you met, so we sh- we share a common bond with that and how radio is and my my parents passed down the radio hobby to me my mom is uh licensed for amateur radio as well, and she puts up with the hobby and um I got my wife licensed as well, and my daughter loves running around with the with the radios in her hand she's only seven years old, but she understands what's going on with it, so it's um it's it's interesting to see it, you know, how it comes down through the generation. And my grandfather was into it as well. I mean, I I grew up in uh, watching the the Bearcat one hundred one dance around in in his kitchen, you know, and, and listening to it when I was over over at his house. So, and and my grandmother kept with it, and my uncle kept with it as well. So, radio is a good hobby. It's it definitely is uh, something the family can get involved with as long as they're not. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Going to roll the dice. Family on it. adventure for sure. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So. Is there anything else uh, you want to bring up uh, today?
1: I think that's probably about it, Phil. I mean, you know, at some time <laughs> in the future, if we, uh, you know, you'd like to do another one of these, I'm sure that we could probably dig out a few more dusty memories from the yes, memory bank.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yep.
1: With uh, I don't know how many years now. Well, way way, way more than I can count. <laughs> <laughs> about fifty five years now in listening to radio since I got my first one, which my son gave me a Halicrafters S120, by the way, for Christmas. And that was my first radio. Oh, wow. And, that's nice. Man. Uh, that was, well, it was a pretty emotional time for me. I mean, I I did not see that coming. And he went out and got me. In fact, it's sitting up in the shack. So it was, it was sort of special to bring back a lot of memories. My parents gave me my first radio in 64. And uh, there's a ton of stories in there as well. So. But no, it's it's been a pleasure. We've we've enjoyed the time that we we get to spend with you.
0: Excellent. So all the, uh, the documents, the links and everything else that we talked about today will end up in the show notes. So that'll okay. be available for somebody to come into and click and find you. And, uh, if they want to reach out to you, I guess the best way to do so is to either hit you up on Twitter, which again, we'll, we'll put the link to that in the session notes, or if you prefer, I mean, do you want them to hit one of your websites and use one of the, uh, contact
1: forms or we have yeah. a company address of peak pub at peak at You can also, uh, I have a, my ham radio uh, email address is n5fpw at frontier dot com. So any 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 of the the methods are fine to uh, to get to us, and uh, we always look look forward to getting some mail.
0: Excellent. Well, Larry, I want to thank you again for spending about an hour, a little bit more, with with us today, and it was a great conversation. And uh, I definitely look forward to having you back on here. And again, if there's anything you want to bring up, I mean, don't wait for me, just send me an email and say, hey, I want to come back. So uh, again, it's uh, like I I was saying uh, earlier, I've been a huge fan of yours for for many years and uh, I'm uh, very happy that uh, you're on here today. So again, thank you very much. Thank you. And $73. All right. Thanks again. Larry, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on this week's podcast and sharing all of the knowledge or just a piece of the knowledge, rather, of what it is that you know about the radio hobby now. There's a whole lot more that we didn't touch on and Larry's got some great resources out there and again we've got them all laid out for you at scannerschool.com slash session 178. This includes links to Larry's Twitter page, uh, the Milcom monitoring post, B-Town monitoring post as well as Gail's blog, the SWLing blog, uh, I'm sorry the SWLing post and their publications on Teak Publishing and links to purchase their guides on Amazon. So Larry again thank you very much for being a guest on today's podcast and we would love to have you back and spend some more time with you. I'm sure that we can have plenty of other conversations about all of the things that you have uh, done throughout the years with the radio hobby. Now, for everybody listening either uh, at home or uh, on their commute or wherever else that you listen to this podcast on, I have a request for you. Is there somebody in the scanner radio hobby that we haven't had on the podcast yet that you would like to hear from. Is there somebody in the Scanner Radio Hobby that we've had on before that you'd like to hear again? I am always looking for podcast guests to come on the podcast and share their story and their background and other things that they do with the Scanner Radio Hobby. Or maybe you would like to become a guest on the podcast. I would love to have you on as well. Just go to scannerschool.com, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, and that will drop down to a link where you can become a guest on the podcast. So, if you'd like to be on, that's how you do so. If you know somebody personally or have a contact and would like to do a warm introduction between me and them or them and me, I would love for you to be able to do that for me as well. But again, the best way for you to help me out here besides having some uh, networking skills that you can help me get a guest on the podcast, is to share the podcast. That's exactly what we try to do here is to teach people about the scanner radio hobby. And I can't do that without your help. So if there's somebody that you know that would love to hear today's conversation with Larry, please forward this podcast episode to them you can share this on facebook or on twitter and in one of your favorite groups email them a link to this podcast make sure also you are subscribed to our podcast network right we have we're on if it's a podcast platform we are probably there so you can go ahead and subscribe to us there our email newsletter will let you know every week what's going on here at scanner school and of course we're also have the podcast on YouTube. And if you are listening to us on YouTube right now, make sure you click on subscribe and leave us a comment below this podcast. Let us know what you thought about today's interview or I should say this guest appearance with Larry. These really aren't interviews. They're they're conversations, right? That That's what this is. It's just two people or more sharing their love for the scanner radio hobby. So with that, I'm going to say thanks again for listening. Thank you so much again, Larry, for being on the podcast. And make sure you catch us next week. So again, I'm Philip Denberger, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. We'll catch you all again next week, 73.